What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Another Baseball America podcast here. J.J. Cooper, Kyle Glazer joining you on a special day. Baseball America Minor League Player of the Year Day, which is always a special day. It frightens me how many of these days I've gone through now here at Baseball America. This is my second. This is my 15th. So, uh, but, uh, but before we jump into talking about Ronald Acuna, Braves center fielder, our minor league player of the year, and why he won that award, we do want to remind you that today's Baseball America podcast is sponsored by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off-the-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. Shop now at Baseballism.com and enter the code BASHIP, that's B-A-S-H-I-P, and you will receive free shipping on your order. Visit Baseballism.com to shop for hats, shirts, and more today. So, you know what? Ronald Acuna, Braves, future Brave star, next year when he's playing at the, uh, the new ballpark there, Baseballism store down the, uh, down the uh, just down the street, right there in the uh, little complex there, the battery. But, uh, but Kyle, you, you uh, wrote our Ronald Acuna Minor League Player of the Year story We'll dive into why Acuna ended up being our minor league player of the year, all that. But you talked to him. You talked to a lot of people about him. You saw him you know, play a, a nice four-game series here in Durham all in the past month. I, I, I guess I would ask you is, is, as you look forward, what is it that you've kind of filed away that, is, that you know, stands out about Acuna and, and kind of stands out as like this is kind of what, some of the things that makes him unique? For me, it's the level of explosiveness and everything this guy does. On the base pass, beating out infield singles, sliding head first, swiping second in ridiculous run times, coming home on choppers back to the mound, all while stepping up to the plate, driving hard doubles into the gap the opposite way, being able to turn on pitches and pull them in the air with authority. Everything this guy does excites you. And he's, you know, he's got a big smile on his face. He's you know, dancing during pregame. This is a guy who loves the game and kind of just makes the game fun for everyone around him, talking to his teammates, talking to his coaches. This is a guy they love having. He's always having a good time, but he's also composed. It's not like he's just loosey-goosey and it affects him adversely on the field. He's, he's professional. He's professional. He controls you know, his swing in the zone, in the strike zone. He's able to you know, stay focused out there in the outfield. It's not like he's so loose that it's a problem. He really straddles that line well. And I think he's a guy that if you're a fan and you're going to watch the team, this is that guy who will excite you. He'll, co- he'll go and rob the home run with a big smile on his face, come up next at bat, hit a home run, bring you to your feet, high-five his teammates around the field. This is that guy who matches the talent with the personality that you kind of want to have as a face of your franchise type. And that's the thing that does stand out to me if you look at it big picture. The Braves have a thousand pitching prospects. And I mean, okay, I'm exaggerating a little bit. It's actually probably somewhere around 112. But uh, but they have a lot of arms. I mean, they have arms now. You know, Gahara's made the big leagues. I mean, they, they worked in Newcomb some this year. 
Uh, you know, Fulton Awitz, who's still young, has kind of been in the rotation. But Freed then, came up. Freed came up briefly. We saw Freed, uh, you know, in, in Durham, and then now he's back up and been starting for them a couple of starts, get a little feet wet for him. You've got the next wave of Mike Soroka, you know, and Colby Allard, who are in double-A. You have Joey Wentz, Bryce Wilson stepped Bryce up. Bryce Wilson, Ian, Ian Anderson, Anderson, Tuki Toussaint. We can go on and on and on. But and they ha- it's not like they do not have position prospects. We've seen, you know, Ozzy Albies is, I think, at this point, if he hasn't graduated from prospect eligibility, it's happening real soon. Dansby Swanson, who obviously did not have a great rookie year, but you are talking about a guy who who still looks like their their shortstop of the long term. You have all that. But what they haven't had is that big thumper middle of the order back. Because Dansby Swanson, in an ideal world, probably bats fifth, sixth, or one. I would say either second second or or, or seven. Right. You're you're not talking about three, four, five. Ozzy Albies in an ideal world bats first for you. He's a leadoff hitter, gets on base, surprising pop, but he's not a three, four, five. Ronald Acuna is the three. I mean, again, if his works out as you expect, or as the Braves hope, Ronald Acuna is their three-hole hitter for the next for a long time. I mean, that was a discussion I had with you know the hitting coach John Moses Iquinet. I talked a little bit about it with Jonathan Sherholtz and just talking to other evaluators outside the organization. And there was a sense this guy can really do anything for you if you want to bat him leadoff. He can do it and do it well. The two-hole looks great. I mean, we've seen Mm -hmm. Mike Trout come up and hit in the two-hole for good chunks of his career and be a guy who's, hey, a 20-40 guy, or as he gets, you know, maybe a little older, it's maybe it's more 25-20, but it's But the home runs go up, the steals go down. And if you wanted to make him your three-hole hitter or four-hole hitter, I mean, this is a guy that has so many different skill sets, and he can kind of channel them. I mean, when and that was one other thing that really impressed me in Durham. When they needed him to be a grinder to play small ball, he could do it. When they needed him to drive the ball with authority, he could do it. And that wasn't even his best series. He had a lot of other series that were way better than it, but you saw the talent. And I think for, for the Braves, you have to be excited to have a guy. You know, the word dynamic comes back to me because you can see, okay, this is the role Ozzie Albies will fill. This is the role Dansby Swanson will fill. You know, even a guy like Freddie Freeman, who is an incredible player, mm-hmm. You can say, hey, this is what he's going to be. This is the role oh, he's, This year he's going to say, hey, you need I me to play third, third base? Okay, I'll yeah. play third base. Yeah, that's true. But uh, we all know how that that, that didn't, didn't no, last. Actually, it was okay, but it didn't last. I long. was going to say, but I was surprised it was better than I expected it would be. <laughs> but, you know, Acuna's that guy. You can kind of just say, let's just see what he can do. He can probably fill any role you need him to, and that's a unique talent. And, and that's the thing that stands out is, is if you're listening to this and you're a Braves fan or you're not a Braves fan, that's the thing that to me really fits with what they have is is you have Ender Inciarte right now, who is a really good center fielder, one of the better center fielders in the National League. Gold glove there, there great, last year. Yeah. Great trade for them. You know, now we, you know, we, we have to call it now the Ender Inciarte trade. That also where they got Nancy Swanson and they traded away Shelby Miller. Great trade for them. But um, but you look at that and you say, you know, okay, they have him in center. Well, for Ronald Acuna. This isn't something where you're saying, okay, well, I guess we can force him to right field. And do remember, if you want to follow the Andrew Jones comp even further, Andrew Jones played some right field when he came up because they had Kenny Lofton. But you could put Ronald Acuna in right field. Got the arm. It's no ways in any way a stretch. And then you talk production-wise. Now, again, right now, if you look at it, they have Kemp, they have Enciarte, and they have Marquecas all signed for next year. But 
assuming a spot comes up in left or right, and I think those are more logical that they're going to come open before Inciarte, this isn't a guy that you're harming him in any way or hurting the value that you get out of him. This guy could be an exceptional defensive corner and producing with the kind of production that fits very well as a prototype, prototypical right fielder. No question. And that was uh, came up in our chat a few times, uh, people s- concerned about what they're going to do, as if it's not a good thing to have NDR, Inciarte in center and Ronald Acuna in right. You know, Nick Marquez that's preferable to me than to any have, other other options, including trading Inciarte. And that's what I spelled out. That's a better defensive outfield and probably a better offensive outfield than having Inciarte in center and Acuna in right than having Acuna in center and Marquez in right. You're going to get more production. You're going to be better defensively. And again, talking to Braves individuals, while no one's going to come out and say right away, this is what we're definitively going to do seven months from now because, you, you know, so many things come into play. There's absolutely no – I mean, Ender Inciarte is 26. He's a gold-glove caliber center fielder. He's shown himself to be a very, very good offensive player. He's signed long-term. There's no reason to have to move him – you're a better team with Ender in Sartan Center and Ronald Acuna in right than getting rid of him and going, all right, we're going to go Kemp, Acuna, and, and Marcakis. I'll make a, an outlandish prediction looking into a crystal ball that will probably be incredibly wrong. I don't think my prediction is, is that Ronald Acuna, if you look at when we're looking back on his Braves career when it's all over, and it's not that he's not a good center fielder, but if you look at just how their team is, is coming up, Enciarte there now. I would not be shocked if we say that in, that the predominance of Acuna's career ends up being played in a corner. Because, and again, that's partly because I'm really sold. Christian Pache to me, who's in low A this year, the ways away, a lot of development to go. But I, I would not be surprised at all if, at the time that Enciarte is no longer the Braves center fielder, that the Braves look around and say, rather than moving Acuna, who will be in the should be in the prime of his career, moving him. We've got this potentially gold glove center fielder coming up too. Again, a lot could happen, but I wouldn't be shocked at all if Acuna ends up being a corner for the Braves for the preponderance of his career. And one of the things that came up was, you know, internally the Braves view him a little bit higher as a center fielder than externally. You know, talking both to individuals inside the organization Acuna, and yeah. outside the organization, you know, a lot of things lined up. The guys inside and outside agree on the bat, the speed, you know, the power potential, give or take, you know, a couple a couple degrees, but they all agree it's a special guy. Externally, I think there's a perception that Ronald Acuna is this future gold glove center fielder out there. That is not something that right. is reflected by the scouting I think he can as a play whole. it. He's very good. He can absolutely do it. Um, but at least he's not a gold glover. He's not projected from scouts. Correct, and I think that's where there's maybe a little bit of a misperception of of what he is and who he is from the fan side of things. Now, again, he's not going to kill you out there. He can play center field and play it pretty well. But again, Ender Inciarte is better. The Christ- general Christian Pache is Christian Pache. Better. I mean, again, giving you a sneak peek, we got this, the league top twenties coming up. Christian Pache, center field defender. Raves, absolute raves, aggressive, loves to play shallow, believes that there's not a ball basically hit in anywhere that will land in green that he can't get to, you know. And look, I mean, the reality of it is, is as much as the Braves talk about Acuna, the center fielder, Acuna's played a lot of corner already because he's been deferring to other guys in their own organization. NCRT, again, is a guy that, you know, everyone agrees. 
you're not going to bump Ender Inciarte out of center field for Ronald Acuna. Inciarte is a superior defender. Now, look, if something in the offseason comes along, the Braves cannot say no to. If someone goes out and offers a ridiculous amount of prospects for Ender Inciarte, you know, Adam Eaton-esque trade type of situation and maybe a a tad more, then, yes, the Braves are going to listen, but it's not going to be, oh, because we're trying to make room for Ronald Acuna. It's, hey, if someone blows our socks off on a trade, sure. The other thing about Acuna that I that does stand out to me is that 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 when you watch Acuna hit, he is actually I think a more has a better appreciation of the strike zone, a better understanding of the strike zone, better pitch recognition than you may expect if you just look at if you're scouting the stat line, you're gonna think you see this guy's not bad, but there's strikeouts here. You know, okay, he's your typical. 19-year-old who's still learning when to lay off, when to be aggressive, all that. That's it, not who Ronald Acuna is. And it couldn't is. be further from the truth. And that, I think, was you know another aspect that was super impressive. Look, he swings and misses, but it, they're in the strike zone, which you could say is a bad thing for some people, a good thing you know for some others. kind of depends on your perspective there. But he's a guy that, you're right, he sees good quality sliders, knows when to lay off them. He sees pitchers trying to move him in and out, up and down. He knows when to lay off and hunt the pitch to hit. Again, there's good pitchers making good pitches out there. A good pitcher who, you know, 95 on the inside corner, he swings over it. Yeah, it, it's going to happen. It happens to major leaguers every day. There's times where pitchers are going to beat you. But but that is, I mean, again, if you said right now, what's, that's more of a concern with him than... And that's, and that's where I, I think, again, he's 19, he's incredibly talented, but I think, you know, walking away from the series here at Durham, you could say... You can see there's still things he needs to work on before he's major league ready, and that was one of them. You saw the AAA caliber pitchers, who a lot of whom have been in the big leagues, that could work you hard inside and locate and elevate on you. He would swing and miss through those. But again, that's also those are also holes that a lot of major leaguers swing through. And once you learn to attack your pitch, rec- recognize your pitch, not miss it, and hit it with authority, which Acuna shows a very very promising foundation to do. You know, this is a guy. There's very even with those holes that we see now. There's not a lot of concern amongst evaluators, amongst opposing managers, even that it's going to be something that's really going to be a problem for moving forward because he's adapted so quickly at every level, which is just another thing that makes Ronald Acuna that much better than everyone else. He adapts and adjusts at a rate. It's pretty insane when you talk about 40 games in Low A, 28 games in High A, 50 games in Double A. And that's all he needed. When a lot of other guys need 300, 400 at-bats at a level before they really understand what's going on. Oh, I mean, to put in perspective, you know, just think about it this way. Our, the, the number one pick in last year's draft, Vicky Moniak, went to low A this year and was one of the lesser, one of the worst offensive performers in that league. And Mickey Moniak's still a very good prospect. Ronald Acuna is not much older than Mickey Moniak. Well, to put it in our perspective, Blake Rutherford, to make it even more apples to apples, Blake Rutherford struggled to an extent in low Class A this year. Ronald Acuna is basically the same age as Blake Rutherford, and Ronald Acuna was basically one of the best hitters in AAA over the final two months he of the season. Was, from the time he debuted on July 13th, he led the International League in batting average and OPS. He's 7.7 years younger than the league average. And he and the International League is not a hitter-friendly league. 
And this guy at 19, from the time he debuted, statistically was the best hitter in the league in two key uh, measures. And the other thing about that is, is that, you know, there's talk about how much does double A help you, how much does triple A, what does it give you that you don't get in double A. For a 19-year-old, the thing it gets you, which, by the way, the idea, if you if you still have the idea that AAA baseball consists of older guys soft tossing, but really throwing really good changeups and breaking balls, no. I, I challenge you to go to a AAA game no. and go, wait a second, did I see a reliever come in this? Because you have to think of it. Now relievers, both relief staffs for major league teams, in essence, number about 20, and five of them usually at any time are sitting in AAA. And so what you do, I mean, you get that late inning, I'm going to see 96 plus, but you also get, you do get the guys who can throw, can pitch backwards, and Ronald Cunha had no problem facing pitchers who would start him off breaking ball instead of fastball. And, and it goes back to him just being unfazed by everything. You know, they've talked about the naturals make it look easy, like they're just, ha- they're playing a game. And that's the thing with Ronald Acuna. You know, one of the things that was interesting in that Durham series, you know, Durham has some guys who've come out and bring it who are big leaguers. Ryan Stanek, for example, comes out throwing 99. And again, talking to the evaluators who were really, you know, watching it closely, they ran through that lineup, and Acuna was the only guy who looked completely unfazed by 99. And that's where, now, you know, there were times where he was able to do something with it. There were other times he struck out because, hey, it's 99 up in your grill. That's going to get a lot of good hitters. But he's a guy that just sees it, says okay, and he makes the adjustment like it's the easiest thing in the world. And that's just a testament to his his gifts, his athleticism, and and also his upbringing. You know, his father, Ron Acuna, was a decent Mets prospect there and reached double A, had a perfectly nice professional baseball career, went back to Venezuela, and was able to really, you know, teach his kid, this is what you're going to need to know how to do. This is what to expect. And so none of this has been a surprise for Ron Acuna. We talk about the second, you know, the second generation players, obviously Bo Bichette and Vlad Jr., Fernando Tatis Jr. What I've found a lot of times is the dads who maybe only played through the minors are still incredible teachers because they might have not have had the oh, physical gifts. No, no, no. Gifts. I was going to say, I, I actually think... Some, sometimes they're better because they right. don't have some of the same physical gifts. They had to really work for it. Or if they did, they know the mistakes that can be made too. Like, I mean... But no, there is a huge advantage to you are getting the best instruction. You know, for one, genetically it doesn't hurt, but also you're getting the best instruction. And also the other thing that that means is is in a lot of these cases, again, especially when we talk about a Vlad, you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or Bo Bichette, nothing phases them that they'll ever face in the minors because they've grown up in big league clubhouses. So there is no. You know, they, they have some sense of this, but they have some sense of this at the largest stage. And the minor league stage, to be honest, is, is still, you know, it's just a path. It's just a step along the path. Yeah. No, I, I think overall, I mean, you look at Ronald Acuna, and, and you know, Matt Eddy did a fantastic job really putting into context the type of season he had as a teenager. Doing what he did in AA and AAA, the names you see are she- Gary Sheffield, Andrew Jones, Mike Trout, Adrian Beltre, Justin Upton. The guys who do this are special guys that are not run of the mill and for the most part all have gone on to right. fantastic big league careers. The, the way I would put it is this. Being big league ready, because Ronald Acuna is going to be big league ready as a 20-year-old. I mean, at this point, barring injury, there is no conceivable path where you say Ronald Acuna spins... All of next year in AAA, 
and it's not ready. Now, again, I could maybe, I, I do not see the Matt Kemp, Nick Markakis uh, juggernaut being a logjam for him long-term, but let's say he could spend all next year, but he should be in the big leagues sometime next year as a 20-year-old. When that's the case, that does not guarantee you stardom. However, the chances of being a star, if you are big league ready at 20, are dramatically higher, dramatically higher than a guy who hits the big leagues at 25. And part of that comes from, we see it. You've talked about, you know, Jose Altuve, and Jose Altuve is an example of this. Jose Altuve, the, again, when you talk about stardom, part of that is accumulating stats. I mean, being great for an extremely long time. Jose Altuve's path to 3,000 hits is much, much easier than a guy, than, to give you an example, Ichiro got there, but then Ichiro's. Because in Ichiro's case, you have to keep producing at your, in your late 30s at a level that's really a unusual. Sometimes even into your early 40s. Right. Sometimes. Right. Whereas if Ronald Acuna, again, if you're just talking about, if Ronald Acuna comes up next year as a 20-year-old and gets half a season in the big leagues, and so, and he's a, a solid player the next couple of years. Not spectacular, but a solid player. And then it all really clicks for him at age 23. Well, by age 23, he's, still, he's already going to have 60, 70 home runs in his back pocket. He's going to have, you know, 400, 500 hits. One guy that comes to mind a little bit like this, uh, I was covering a Red Sox game for us last year. And Xander Bogarts came up and got, I believe it was his 500th hit at age 22. I mean, just one of those things where because he was there so early. Exactly. I mean, he was able to just get it, even though in all reality been, we, hadn't seen, the, we haven't been, seen the best of him yet. Right. I mean, I mean, in spurts we have, but this year. Right. Last year we saw, you know, it was really, you know. But again, yeah, he has been, he's a 24-year-old, Bogarts is. He has been a, for a shortstop, he's been very solid. You know, he's been a one-time all-star. Oh, no you question. Know, he's a very good player. But a very good player, but he's having a, you know, a, a very modest season this year. And he's a 24-year-old with 659 hits and 49 home runs. And that is the difference of when you arrive early. Again, the best way I can put it is, is there are examples of guys who hit the big leagues at that age. And for whatever reason, which if you go back in the past, I would say sometimes that reason is, is oh, we didn't realize they were actually 24. Or we thought they were 20. But for whatever reason, they don't get much better, and they end up being solid players, but they don't reach the, the stardom that was hoped for them. But if you look at the greats, the majority of the greats, if there wasn't some sort of artificial thing that gets in the way, you know, they, they, they're in the big leagues and playing well at 22, 23. And I think some of it was also to the level Acuna did it. Because if you go down and look at the list of names below Acuna, there mm -hmm. are some guys who did not work out. Absolutely. But from Acuna up, right, it's all really, really, really good players. I mean, Greg well, Jeffries is the worst. And Greg and Jeffries grand, had a lengthy career. And the grand scheme of things, he had a really solid MLB career. Right. Greg Jeffries is the guy that when you, and again, for our younger listeners, Greg Jeffries was the dude. He was the deal. He was the guy when I was in high school that you wanted his baseball card. He was a two-time player of the year. And Greg Jeffries, when it's all, all over, played 14 years in the big leagues, had almost 1,600 hits and uh, was a uh, two-time All-Star. And that's a disappointment. I mean, it really is. It is a disappointment. But that is the disappointment point. And he was done 
He had 1,600 hits and he was done as a 32-year-old. Andrew Jones, you got the question in the chat and it said, what can the Braves do to make sure that Ronald Acuna doesn't flame out like Andrew Jones? Andrew Jones, I know that it ended early. It did. It absolutely did. But because he reached the big leagues as a 19-year-old, Andrew Jones has a Hall of Fame case. Don't know that he's going to be a Hall of Famer, but he has a case to be a Hall of Famer. If Ronald Acuna ends up being Andrew Jones, then the, this is one of the great success stories in Braves development history. That is the reality of it. And again, it's it's. I think people sometimes lack perspective on the past. When you have a guy who, in the case of Andrew Jones, from 1997 to 2006, take that 10-season block as a whole, it was a fantastic run, one of the best center fielders in baseball. And yes, it ended because he got out of shape. I just have all these images in my head of Dodgers Andrew Jones showing up looking like he ate the previous you to, Andrew you Jones. You have to remember. You have to, but, you, but, it's hard to remember that because it was, it was brief. The right. contract just, was just long. Be, being in Southern California yeah. when it was happening was like, oh, man. But, I mean, again, even if you only get that 10-year span of Andrew Jones, you take that from any prospect. You are in great shape. And that, I think, is something well, that Braves okay. fans maybe need to keep in perspective. And I, I, we will t- kind of wrap up on Acuna. We will talk a little bit about kind of the other guys that were in the candidates. But to wrap up on Acuna... I'll pose this, which is, if Ronald Acuna ends up struggling to meet expectations, again, Ronald Acuna, big leaguer at this point, is, or it's going to happen. But if Ronald Acuna ends up, we look back on it and go, I, again, I'm sitting here and thinking, and it's like, okay, Dustin Ackley, Dust, again, Dustin Ackley to me, like, is a guy who, high expectations, you know, was a top pick. And he had a big league career, but you look back on it and you undoubtedly say, Dustin Ackley did not reach the expectations around for him. Very different player, but I'm asking, if Ronald Acuna, if we look back on it 10 years from now and we go, you know, Acuna didn't reach those expectations we had for him, what would you say would be the, the hurdles beyond injury? Obviously, health is something that you can never fully predict. Sure. I think the two things that would come up are, you know, we talked about the holes there where right now he's not catching up to the really good, you know, the hard stuff in, on the inner half and the stuff that's elevated. Every player has to adjust, no matter how good of a prospect Mike you are. Mike Trout has had holes in his... Every single, play, yes. every single player in the history of baseball has spots that just are not good spots for them mm-hmm. because of their bat speed, their swing path, their setup, whatever. And it's a matter of can you minimize those. And again, the thing with Mike Trout, and there was a really good graphic about this on, on a broadcast not too long ago, it's not that all of a sudden he's hitting those pitches. He just learned to stop swinging at them. And it's a case where it's those adjustments. So if Ronald Acuna's career goes sideways, that would probably be it. If he doesn't make the, those adjustments necessary to minimize the holes in his swing. But again, a big thing is track record. And people talk about track record, and, and it's huge. But it's not just track record of stats. It's track record of adjustments. Does this guy have that track record of every time he's needed to jump a level? You know, play up to his level of competition. Has he done it? And with Acuna, the answer is yes. And so to this point, you say with a reasonable degree of confidence, I believe this kid will make the adjustments necessary to minimize the holes. If he doesn't, then yeah, because the major leagues, guess what? Guys can pump 95 on the inside corner on you all day. Mm-hmm. And if you can't do it, if you can't figure that out, you're going to have a problem. I'll say this, though. There's nothing in his swing to me that indicates. Because usually to me, the things that keep you from being able to make that adjustment 
are things like you have a really big hand pump that basically, okay, uh, you know, or there's a length to the swing that just means, you know, it's going to be really hard to, to shorten that up. Acuna doesn't really have those, like, though, again, to give an example, Todd Frazier, who's had a very good career. Todd Frazier has always, you know, it, it's, it's always been something where with his swing, there's always a question of, got to be really strong to handle an inside pitch because, you know, he's got a little bat wrap and all where you're like, okay, is he going to be able to do that? I don't, I've not talked to anyone with Acuna is like, you know, I'm just really worried about that swing. You know, and someone came up in the chat asking about that, you know, saw sling the swing and there's not been a single individual who said, hey, there's something here. It's not a case where the bat path is a little off, but he makes up for it with bat speed. It's not a case where there's all sorts of movement with his body, with his head. Someone said, well, he's got a, a load. Every single player has a load. And you want to see some deep loads? They're out there. That's not one of them. I mean, there's some really deep loads out there, especially in today's power-driven game. Acuna's is perfectly fine. That's a perfect segue here. You want to talk about deep loads? Hey, our, if you talked about our finalist, I would say, I mean, the, the best pitcher that we saw, the finalist among pitchers, John Duplantier, was pretty clearly... I would say pretty clearly the guy among pitchers. Uh, but Lowest DRA since uh, Justin Verlander 12 years ago. Right. do the trick. The, the thing I would say, if you said, well, why isn't Duplantier, you know, Duplantier our, uh, our player of the year? I think the simple answer is you take a college pitcher and, he's, and he puts up all the numbers in A ball. That's going to make it harder. Because the reality of it is, is that I, ex- again, as and he was sensational in the Midwest League. And I ex- the Cal League. And was. the Cal League. But this, the Midwest League portion of that especially, John's a very smart guy who's been well-coached, who has college experience. I expect him to be two steps beyond the low-class A hitters he faced. You know what? He may have been three steps ahead of him, but he was. But that's to be – so if you say, okay, why did he not? Then we go to the – so that's the only pitcher who was in our consideration. We talk about deep loads. Bo Bichette was in, was in, if you said we had three finalists when it was all said and done, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette were battling for one of those spots, and Austin Hayes was the other. You know, as much as Vlad had a great year, to me, I mean, Bo, the guy led all the entire minors in, you know, in average, the on-base percentage was two percentage points below Vlad's. I mean, he's... There was a lot of similar similar statistical output. By the way, and I love Bo that beat him on Bo Bichette, by the way, led the Midwest League in batting average when it was all said and done using the rule where you can give an offer. It was 0 for 61, and he still led the league. How awesome is that? It's ridiculous. I mean, yeah. he had a ridiculous season. It's like, okay, wait, Bo Bichette, you know, he, had, he needed 61 more at-bats. There's no way he's going to be the batting champ. Oh, yeah, no one was in close enough. If you give him an 0 for 61, he still led the league in average. He's the batting champ. So. Yeah, no, he's, he was an absolutely uh, incredible, incredible player for, uh, for uh, Dunedin. But he but has. Dunedin, I mean, he went out there, the Florida State League, where no one hits. And Dunedin t- did not slow him down. And Vladimir Guerrero Jr., August of an 18-year-old season, should be the, the month where you, like Mickey Moniak, was, it's no crime to say that he was first time playing 140 he was done. He was toast. He was a sub-200 hitter in August. 
Vladimir Guerrero Jr. went out in August and posted, I think, a 670 slugging percentage. Yeah, no, I mean, they're both incredible. I, I do think at the end of the day, our three finalists probably were a combination of uh, Bichette, Hayes, and Acuna. Uh, look, Bichette is one of those guys, you know, I think it's gone, gone back to the draft. People have been concerned about this big bat rap. But no, just saying, with him, it's not rap. It's low to me. Well, it's, to me, it is... Putting, the barrel comes yeah. back behind his head and points toward the pitcher. Yeah. But, again... I, mean, I choose that stuff right. With Frazier, it's an arm bar, is what I should have said. Okay. Because the arm bar... And Bouchette doesn't have an arm bar. But you're right, he does rap. It's it's back here. I mean, it almost the, the top of the bat's almost pointing at the pitcher. But, you know, I think of Sling where increasingly, as he just continued to hit and continued to hit and continued to hit, I started hearing from evaluators as the year went on and say, you know... He might be one of those, just one of those special guys who, whether it's his, his hand-eye coordination, his natural reflexes and strength that he can do it. Because, again, there are a lot of really special talents. Gary Sheffield had the biggest bat rap you'll ever see in somebody. Like, I mean, he had, Gary Sheffield did it deliberately. We talk about great young hitters. Gary Sheffield, I've talked, I've heard this secondhand from someone who knows Gary. It's like, no, he told me. He deliberately did that his hands were too fast if he didn't do something to take it make it take longer for him to get to the zone he was too quick on pitches yeah none there are special guys who do it differently and then there's there's a sense an increasing sense that Bichette is one of those guys he'll have a very stiff test moving up to double a we talk about it all the time the most difficult jump to make in the minor leagues is high to double a but there is definitely, uh, I'd say, I don't want to say there's a consensus, but there's a lot more in the Bo Bichette camp now saying, you know what, it works for him. He can do it, and if he, and he's increasingly looking like one of those special guys who can do things, you know, a little differently that might not go with all the hitting orthodoxy out there, but he'll still get it done. No, I mean, you know, and I do think, like, the crazy part about this is, is we just also released our minor league all-star team. We'll probably wrap up with this, that we released our minor league all-star team today. And to me, probably the most notable thing, I'd say, if you said, hey, the White Sox were well-represented on the team, they had uh, Eloy Jimenez on first team, they had uh, Kopech, Kopech and, and Alec Hansen on second team, I don't think that's going to surprise anyone in any way, shape, or form. But... I do think there would be some people surprised to realize that the Blue Jays had three first-teamers. The only team to have three first-teamers, Vladdy Jr., Bobachet, and then Danny Jansen, who had an outstanding year at catcher. Doesn't make Danny Jansen the top-catching prospect in baseball or anything like that yet, but an outstanding year. This Blue Jays farm system, the funny thing is Danny Jansen's probably not the best-catching prospect still in the Blue Jays' system. It depends how you feel about Max Pentecost, but if, and if he can stay healthy enough to catch right. enough games. But but you do look at it and say, this is, you know, there's this, some, this is a team, that uh, an organization that there's some there's some young, really young talent here. Well, and I think a lot of it is also guys that took steps forward. Vlad Guerrero Jr. was the top prospect in the system coming into this year. There was an expectation that, hey, this guy's pretty special. He was obviously very well known when he signed to the point that the Blue Jays traded away good players to the Dodgers for international slot space. They also were able to, you know, get him, push him right to the Appy League, and he did fantastic there as Which a 17-year-old. If you wonder, I mean, why we went crazy about Vladimir Jr. coming into the season, there, I mean, the raves that he got coming out of last year were... Spectacular. Right. I mean, 
And it goes back to one of the things, and talk about this with Acuna, talk about with Guerrero. One of the things I think fans really need to look at is player movement. Because teams will say all sorts of things about their guys and why they believe in them and how they work. The guy they're holding down at low A, at 22, even though he's put up big numbers, should raise a little bit of a red flag in your head. The guy who's 17, they brought to the States right away, put him not just in their GCL affiliate, but the Appy League, and then ran him out in full season balls an 18-year-old. Watch that guy. And, oh. that, and that's where I think you know Guerrero has just, again, not also the level of Acuna, because Acuna just went ran through AAA, but that same concept of he's moving faster than all his peers from a similar similar class way faster i mean we had him 20th in baseball coming into the coming into this year having as a 17 year old having yet to play full season ball the hype for this guy had i mean it and i I shouldn't use hype because hype now carries a negative connotation the expectations for this guy coming into the year were sky high and he beat him and he exceeded them by far by far you know it's something where I, I'll put it this way. Right now, if you say who is our favorite to be minor league player of the year in 2018, I think he's the runaway favorite because when you think about it, him and Boba Shedd are, are going to be a nice guys to, to battle for that because the other guys you think of, like Eloy Jimenez would definitely work in that. But I have a feeling Eloy Jimenez is not going to spend a full season in the minors next year. The other hitters, Victor Robles could be in that conversation because Victor Robles could have a monster season. But Vladimir Guerrero Jr. to me right now, again, if you because we get that question a lot. Who's your favorite for minor league player of the year a year from now? And I'm like, right now I've got an easy answer, which is Vladimir Guerrero See, Jr. it's interesting. You're comfortable answering that question. For me, I just look at, and this is a nice segue into our other prime candidate mm-hmm. for this. Last year, if I had said, all right, it's the end of the year, our – Three top candidates are our two our two real top candidates in a three, way. Three, three. You got to work in the Blue right, Jays. Right, I know, right, but I'm just for the sake of this would, would be a guy who's played 40 games at Low A, and a third rounder from Jackson from is it Jacksonville University or University mm-hmm. of Jackson? I Jackson think it's JU, the Dolphins, yeah. and a third rounder from Jacksonville. You'd be like, yeah, huh? Okay. And no, guess I would, what? if you told me that Ronald Acuna was our minor player of the year this year, I said, yep, I believe it. That would that one. Austin Hayes absolutely surprised me. Ronald Acuna winning it, I'd say, okay, he made the leap. Because he's one of those guys who is in that group where you say the tools are all there. Because, again, he only played 40 games last right, year. Right, but, but again, you'd say, you know, last year you would probably would say, oh, I'd probably go, you know, Moncada, Glaber Torres, Ahmed Rosario, guys like that, all of whom are in the big leagues. Well, Torres I was going to say, Torres got hurt, you know. But, yeah. but actually, if we had said this time last year what I said was Eloy Jimenez, probably. And... If you're doing it, I mean, Eloy was banged up in the first half of the year, but if you said at the end of the year, he would make the top 10 probably. He'd be right on the cusp of the 10. I mean, he, with the way he finished. He was a first team, you know, he was a first team minor league all-star Absolutely. for us. So, you know, but, um, but no, but that wraps up. We should talk about Austin Hayes at least a little bit too, which is is that if you said, though, who had the season that if you haven't paid enough attention, you should stop and go, whoa, that's Austin Hayes. Yeah, because that season is every bit as loud. I mean, the reality of it is, is if Ronald Acuna had not had the season he had, there is nothing in Austin Hayes' season where you say, "Man, this is not a good year for a minor league golf, you know, player of the year." Well, the other thing, you know, for me, if you were to say, 
again, you can't take out what Acuna did in AAA because that's a very huge component. But of, if he didn't, if he didn't, that's Austin, that's the Austin, that's Austin, the trump card. And that right, he's 19. He went up to AAA and did it. Just what Ronald Acuna did, high at a double A. Austin, Austin Hayes, Hayes did high A double A. He's older. And did it, and, you know, and did but it he better. did it better. His, did it I mean, better. he did 32 so, home so, runs. He, you know. So again, I mean, I think Austin Hayes is a guy that is. You know, someone asked me the chat question, like, without me even answering. The way the question was phrased was defensive-like. And don't talk to us about X, Y, and I'm like, no. Austin Hayes had a ridiculous season, was extraordinarily worthy for this caliber of award, and has a very bright future ahead of him. There's no caveats there. I don't know if, to me, this is, like, Austin Hayes, Austin Hayes, I think, is going to get significant at-bats in Baltimore in 2018. He may get significant at-bats in Baltimore in September, but you know, I do think like you look at he fits what they need, and I think I think the other thing I, that's I, I being think, over I think underlooked. He fits what a lot of teams would but, like to have. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but I'm saying what's being underlooked about him is is this is a toolsy guy too. You know, he's not as toolsy as Ronald Acuna. A few are, but he runs well. He's got a cannon of an arm. He can. If you're saying that Ronald Acuna is probably a 55 center fielder. Austin Hayes is probably more like a 50, and you can get guys who really like him will say he's a 55 in center, guys who don't like him as much will say he's a 45. That's the range. He's a, he's a but plus. Those are, but those are all playable numbers. He's a plus right fielder. Like, you put him in right, and you should get defensive value out of it from a guy who also has legit power potential. And when we talk about a guy who is aggressive but doesn't strike out, that's Austin Hayes. Austin Hayes... Does not walk a lot, but he hits for average, and he does not strike out, and he does it while really punishing the ball. Now, the parks he did it in this year were really good parks, but he did it. He hit at home and on the road, and you don't say. No one's ever said, "Man, that Carolina league." There's just a lot. Of, I mean, that's just an easy place to put up a ton of power. Yeah. Don't say that really about the Eastern League either. So, you know, the le- levels he did it at. I, again, because he was a dra- he was a third round pick. Last year, which by the way, he was taken almost double. You know, like we had him 49th, he was taken 91st, I think. Great draft pick by the Orioles, but this guy was a dude in college. This is a guy who really took a step forward his junior year. There's a lot there. Really, we can't explain why he fell that far. The Orioles are thrilled that he did. Clearly. But, but you look at it and you say, if he had been a first round pick last year, everyone like on the more casual prospect watching fan, would be talking about him. What we're trying to tell you is, no, you should be talking about Austin Hayes. This is not, nothing of this seems flukish. Nothing of this seems like, you know, okay, well, we'll see if he can do it again next year. What I'm saying is, is this is the guy you're not going to get a next year. This is a guy like Paul Goldschmidt being, you know, and it took a little Goldschmidt a little longer, but Paul Goldschmidt, by the time... He, uh, you know, reached the big leagues. He had been in the minors so little that being such a later round pick like he was, to be honest, we hadn't had a chance to catch up, you know, to where Paul Goldschmidt was. Scouts hadn't had a chance to catch up. Catch up on Austin Hayes. He's there. (laughs) Long monologue over. Yeah, no, he's a great player. And again, I mean, for me, you know, we did uh, kind of mock MVP ballots, if you will. I mean, for me, I lined it up as, uh, I lined it up as Acuna, Bichette, Hayes, you could easily convince me to have flipped Hayes Bichette. But again, you know, all these guys had great years. Acuna did it at AAA at 19. That is the cinch, the trump card, 
no ifs, ands, or buts about it. That's that's the deal breaker. And the other thing about it is, is there is a component of ours. We've always said it. We don't make. We do not. We are unabashed about it. If it's a sliding scale, a great prospect having a great year is always at Baseball America Minor League Player of the Year going to trump a good prospect having a great year. It is a part of the conversation. There is a level of prospect. I mean, again, it's a sliding scale. If a 27-year-old, I love Chris Colabello, if Chris, if 26-year-old, 27-year-old Chris Colabello, when he was coming up in the minors, had hit 500 for the season in the IL, which I don't know how he would not have got called up at that point, but if he had, he would have been in consideration. But a 27-year-old in the IL having a great season is not going to be in consideration. When it's all said and done, 19-year-old Ronald Acuna putting up a year that is every bit as good or at least very similar to 22-year-old Austin Hayes putting up the same year, we're going to add. There, there's a well, degree I, of difficulty that the, goes with the age. The level. I mean, again, Hayes, well, the level, Hayes, Hayes being at double A. Is and of, that's the level to me is, is, a, is a key as well. And that's where part of the greater context, age and level. Age and level. But also, again, I'm just trying to put it behind the wall for people. We do look at it as we want this to hold up when we're looking back on it 15 years, 20 years later. And if you look at the Baseball America Minor League Players of the Year, we feel like that generally, like if you look at those, if you let the worst guy, I say, if you said of who we've picked this century, you know, 21st century, the worst is probably Delmon Young, who had a, a monster year at a very young age in the minors. And even him... That was, what, a 10-year career? Yeah, Delman Young, career? with a couple of years where he was actually a lot better than I think a lot of people realized. I mean, Right, that's, but that's, that's the worst. You know, we're proud of that it's Mike Trout, it's Derek Jeter, it's Frank Thomas, it's, you know, it's uh, Manny Josh, Ramirez. Josh Beckett, you know, Paul Canerico, Chris Bryant. And, again, you know, Byron Buxton might be figuring it out. I, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a Buxton believer. You know, I mean, again, you know. Eric Chavez, you know, had a really good career. John Rauch didn't quite work out. John Rauch is one of the worst ones. And John Rauch, though, like, again, like, that was not a great year. There are years we play, you know, Monday morning quarterback. Like, I look back on the year that Ryan Howard hit 50, 49, 47 home runs and didn't win it. And I go, man, I, I really argued for but I didn't argue well enough. But, like, John Rauch, that's our, man, that didn't work out that well. And John Rauch played 11 years in the big leagues. You know, so you know, and the other thing is, you go back and look. I think uh, I count twenty-two of our electees have become all-stars out of twenty-six years of doing this. Or no, we're at thirty. So the point is, you know, yeah. well over two-thirds. And the guys who weren't all-stars include Derek Bell, Tim Salmon, Eric Chavez. I mean, really good Derek players. Chavez never made an all-star. Never team. made an all-star team. That is shocking because um, he was a really good you know, player. This hasn't been updated because Will Myers is not highlighted, even though he Will was, Myers is an all-star. So, I, I know he was an all-star. I know I was there. So no, again, I mean, you, you know, and Acuna, I think has, again, you look at it statistically, you look at it from the scouting perspective, you look at it context, age, level, performance, put up a year that was right on par with some of these these great great players. Um, you know, the one that. Um, I go back to a little bit. I mean, you, you have to. Is that Andrew Jones, you know, 95-96 back-to-back victory there. And he, you know, Andrew Jones was better than Ronald Acuna. There were a couple of Braves fans who were trying to argue that Acuna was better, and no, he wasn't, which is a Oh, really, it's not even close. You know, and by the way. by 30-plus OPS points, which is just a testament to how ridiculous Andrew Jones' season Andrew was. Andrew Jones is, 
19-year-old season was insane. His 18-year-old season was insane. He went 50, uh, 27 homers, 50-something steals, uh, 100-something RBI. It was an insane season. But then he just raised it up a notch the next year. And, oh, yeah, by the way, throw in, and that's with sensational, and I do mean jaw-dropping center field fields as well. And, again, as we talked about today, Acuna's not going to get to the, the, the World Series home runs either. Yeah, that's uh, you know it's funny talking to uh, Rolando Petit, the the scout who signed uh, and uh, signed Acuna and, and was part of you know the the Braves team that was scouting Andrew Jones. He talks about throwing Andrew Jones batting practice in Curacao. So you know even a guy like Andrew Jones, I mean you can see all the talent. You can't predict a guy is going to go up and be hitting home runs in the World Series against the Yankees at 19. That's that's the player. You know we talk a lot about you know did the team draft well? Did they sign well? You know it's about the team and the management. A lot of times this is about the player, the effort they're willing to put in, the work ethic they have, just that that mental fortitude. And you can try and predict it, but at the end of the day, there's things you can't see. And again, you know, Ronald Acuna, lofty expectations, he beat every single one of them. Yep. So that's a good way to wrap it up. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you all for the download. We appreciate you listening. As always, feel free to review us, iTunes, Google Play, Podcatcher, wherever you get us. I'm actually a podcast addict guy myself, but because uh, I'm an Android. So, uh, but we thank you, you know, but we do appreciate the reviews. We do appreciate you, uh, you know, that helps get the word out to others as well. And we do want to remind you, we thank you for tuning in. And today's podcast was brought to you by Baseballism. Don't forget to shop now at baseballism.com and enter the offer code BASHIP, that's B A S H I P, to receive free shipping on your order. Visit Baseballism.com, Baseballism.com, to shop for hats, shirts, and more today. For Kyle Glazer, I'm J.J. Cooper. So long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.